Welcome to the Guerrilla Film Guide Podcast Roundtable Edition. This episode was recorded during the One Story, One Community celebration presented by Borland River Media and the Utah Film Center and is titled, I don't know, Make It Look Pretty, Lighting a Scene with Intent. The panel was moderated by Laird Roberts with guests Justice Page, Angela Chalice, and Oscar Jimenez. We hope you enjoy. Um, Angela, let's start with you. Um, I've watched your pieces, very interesting pieces of artwork there. So who are you? What did, how did you get started in this craziness? Hello, thank you for having me here. What an honor. Uh, well, I'm Angela. I, um, how did I get started in this? I, uh, I'm a dance teacher. I've been a dance teacher forever. And then I did um, dance films. And starting to do dance films, I decided to go to film school so I know what I'm doing. So I went to the community college and um, I, um, I did in, uh, film school there. And then I went to grad school at the University of Utah. And that's when I decided I love cinematography. I just love the lighting and the camera. I'm just in love with it. And I was very lucky to be the cinematographer for Chasing the Dragon with Eduardo, directed by Eduardo Suarez and Mortal Coil, directed by Connor Long. So that's my story, really short. Okay, we'll get back to Chasing the Dragon and, and, and the lighting issue on that. Um, I'm associated a little bit with Utah Film and Dance Festival, which I really, I get to see a lot of these international dance films and it's really an, a beautiful area to look at and explore. So your start in that, your combination of dance and film, that's a great thing to be doing. Okay, Justice, and I kind of know Justice a wee bit. Um, Justice is just really one of those people who constantly amazes me and surprises me. He's one of the better upcoming directors of photography in Utah, where we're at. Um, and he's leaving us, which is like, come on, Justice. Okay, Justice, go ahead and tell us a little bit about <laughs> who you are. Um, yeah, I am a, I'm a director of photography here. Uh, my journey started, I think it was six years ago. Um, I, I had never really realized I wanted to be a cinematographer. It took me a long time. I've been making movies since I was 14. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 21, which I think was about the time we met, that I, I started actually looking at cinematography as, as a long-term thing, as, as something that I could focus in on and, and, and do, because um, I, I fell in love with it. Um, but prior to that, I'd actually been shooting movies for about three years as a cinematographer before I realized I actually wanted to be uh, a cinematographer, just something that kept happening to me and I never really gave it much thought um but uh but yeah I I, I really fell in love with with the craft and I uh I tried to commit myself pretty heavily to it uh I'd like to think maybe there's something for me uh that I can discover in myself as I do this craft but it's been a it's been a fun six years <laughs> are, are you continuing with cinematography and with your movie? Oh, yeah yeah, okay. absolutely. No, that's uh, the goal is, is to, to continue to do it in perpetuity. Um, you know, and I've the past couple of years, I picked up gaffing a lot more, too, which I noticed has, has helped me dr dramatically improve <laughs> um, my own cinematography, um, just because for all the reasons you mentioned at the beginning and, and how amazing light is and how hard it is to quantify and truly ever have a very firm grasp of. But uh, yeah, no, the, I mean, this is this is it. Long haul for me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing this forever. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, Oscar. Hi, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so with cinematography, again, it's one of those accidental things that, that I just uh, picked up. Uh, I was going to school at BYU and uh, I took an elective course, like, right? Just where, just when I needed to like kind of commit to a, a major before I got stuck to what I was doing. And I needed an easy class. And so I took uh, the 102 class, which is which is just uh, just introduction to film, and um, 
Yeah, I mean, the rest is history. I kind of, I, I, I liked all aspects of film. Since BYU is mostly theory, I, I thought I would pursue kind of like the, the, the professor route, go and get my master's and the doctorate. And uh, uh, I, just lo- I just really love film theory. I think there's, it's something just really beautiful about kind of making your own interpretations of, of film. And then, um, and then I just kind of dabbled in photography and I was like, this is kind of fun. Um, I wasn't very good. I wasn't good at all. And, but, but there was, I just wanted to know what shallow depth of field. I kept seeing these pictures when the, the, the Canon 5D was extremely popular. And I was like, well, how are they getting like these really quote unquote, like cinematic pictures? And so I did my research, learned exposed with triangle. And then, um, and then, yeah. And I guess the more I kind of got familiar with it, the more I, I fell in love. And then, uh, and then I dabbled in lighting and then I took a year off from school and kind of worked as, uh, as a camera PA for some of my friends who were, who were starting their, uh, agencies, I guess. And, um, and I learned more from there, just kind of observing and asking questions and just doing whatever I could to get my hands on the on set. And then I went back to school, uh, applied for the film program and, uh, and I just realized I didn't really, well, I, I, I didn't really need to know as much as I thought I needed to know to go into film school, because uh, that's the whole purpose of going to film school. You, you, you le- you're learning. And so, but I just, I thought that everybody that, the, that was going to film school, they, they knew they wanted to be filmmakers since the age of two. And so, uh, so that's why I was like, I need to get my leg, uh, like a leg up on, uh, not a leg up, but just a catch up. And, uh, but that, but that year off really helped me too. I watched, I watched a lot of like international films, uh, films that I felt like that, knew, that were important. And so uh, my grasp of film knowledge and uh, different directors and just the wide variety of cinema was uh, that really helped me to 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 have a good launching pad into school. And then and during those four years, I really I really really took advantage of uh, of school and uh, I was able to film a lot of short films. I met a professor in the photography department. His name is Robert Machoin. And then I I I kind of begged him just to help me or just to let me help him as whatever he needed on set. Cause he's also a filmmaker uh, and uh, eventually trusted me to shoot one of his films uh, the summer before I graduated and ended up getting, going into Sundance. Um, and then uh, and that, so later that year, we filmed a feature film, which also got into Sundance this past year. And then, uh, um, and then, so it was a snowball effect. And, and then I won uh, for my, for the last, for the last year of, uh, uh, my last uh, capstone that I did at school, I won the, the ASU award for the Student Heritage Award, and that from there it was just it was just one thing after another, and I was like, oh crap, I, I guess I am kind of I'm okay at this, I'm okay, and so and so that's given me confidence to kind of really call myself a director of photography, and uh, I don't know, it's been nice, and it, it, it's it's always it was also really overwhelming. Um, I know a lot of people would say you're so lucky, you're so lucky, and I'm just like. Ugh. I don't think it's luck. It's really, it really is just a lot of pressure on me now just to kind of, uh, kind of uh, success after success. It's really nice. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. It's really nice to get uh, recognition, but uh, once uh, the COVID hit, it was bittersweet because it kind of took me, it took me time to kind of slow down a little bit and just really take this all in. And so I'm able to kind of re-energize my, my mind and I guess a little bit of my mental health and to uh, now I'm ready to just kind of go out there again uh, you know, blazing and, and hopefully to just re-energize and kind of come in with like a, a new purpose in mind. So let's, um, let's start talking about how, um, uh, how you go about creating light for, um, within, you know, the word is intent. And intent, you know, what does that mean? I mean, that means you want to do something with it. Um, you know, I've always worked as in, in commercial, and I have rarely made my own material. It's always been a business. Um, my first jobs were that way. And, uh, you know, I've worked on big shows uh, that, um, you know, multi-million dollar, $20 million, $30 million productions, and then even commercials in the $5 million range. And so there's a high expectancy of what you do. 
And one of the things about film business is the higher you go in it, the more money that's spent, the more guarantee they expect. And so there's very much this regimented um, position descriptions. A, a DP does this, a director does this, a gaffer does this, and lighting is this kind of um, cooperative thing between a director who has an intent, who has a vision of what they want. And they work with a director of photography that initiates that, that uh, intent. But it's also the director of photography working with a gaffer and a key grip also. And let's talk about that process and that, those relationships. And let's start with director, director of photography and how that works. Because the standard is that the director comes on and tells the director of photography what to do. They set up, say, this is where the camera goes. And this is how it's going to move. I want this kind of mood to it. And let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, Angela, your thoughts on that. I mean, you're doing something that's kind of this new, exciting movement stuff that is just cool as heck. How do you think about lighting for that kind of an image? Well, I think that one of the most important parts of being a DP is communicating with the director and know exactly what they want and know the script know what this project is for, know your audience. I think that we need to get so involved with what this is and what we want to accomplish. Are we going to shoot a Seinfeld? Are we doing drama? Are you doing com comedy? Do you want it dark? That feeling, we need to get in touch with what is the feeling for this project then to accomplish that, you know, because it's very different for each one. And then we need to know the location. What does the location give us? Because I'm used to the small budget projects, you know, we don't have a million dollars to rent, whatever. Know the location, what is the location giving, giving us, and then what do we need to bring? You know, and with the budget that we have, what can we bring and what do we do with it? And what I like about the working with the director is that the director says, I want the moon. And then we're like, okay. And then you go to your grip and your, and your, um, all your team, how do we give the moon? And then you do what you can with what you have. And so, but I think the key is to understand the project and know exactly what it is that we're shooting for, the vision that this project is going to. It's really a communication business. Um, you talking with you as a DP, you're talking both with uh, the director and with your team, the, the gaffer and the best, the key grip really. Um, it's exciting. You want a moon, you get a pull and you run it up, hit, hit it with a light. <laughs> or nowadays it's done a little differently, but okay. Justice, I know you have some intense, uh, thinking <laughs> yeah. about that right. relationship between a director <laughs> and, uh, his, uh, director of photography. Yeah. So for me, I feel like, um, and this may just be, you know, my, by nature of the experiences I've had, you know, I think, I think directors sometimes need our assistance to kind of help articulate their own vision. Um, you know, and I think, I think it's, it's rare that a director is able to come to me and be able to articulate everything that they want, everything they're trying to evoke, every theme point they're trying to hit, you know, all of those things. And part of our job is to kind of help bring that out. Um, and help articulate that in a visual way, you know? And so for me, a big part of this process is sitting down with the director and going over everything, you know, in the script saying, okay, what does this mean? What are we trying to say? You know, like every scene, like whose perspective is this scene from? Like, what are we trying to learn? What are we trying to not show the audience? Um, you know, and all of these things are like a big part of, of how we communicate um, visually to an audience what this story is, you know, which I think is a big part of the job. So for me, that's, that's huge. And I really do take, you know, I, I don't, you know, there, I've never worked on a project with another cinematographer per se. So I never know what that process looks like for them. So maybe the way I do it is a little weird. I don't know, but I do, I go very into the weeds with all that stuff and say, you know, exactly, you know, how, what kind of movement are we trying to see? What are we trying to, to know about this character? 
Um, and that, that comes back into the light, you know, and a lot of that is, um, for me, one of the best clear cut examples is um, Shane Hurlbut has this shot in uh, the greatest game ever played where Shia LaBeouf has been told he has to like give up golfing. Um, and he's looking out the window um, at the golf course and, you know, and has this beautiful eye light, you know, the music's really there. There's like a slow cushion on him and there's like hope. Right. But he realizes he has to give it up. And so he like turns and looks back at the wall and looks down just a hair and his eye light disappears. Right. And, and the way that that evokes like what's happened in here, what's happened to him emotionally, like in that moment, just with like the eye light disappearing tells you everything you need to know about how he's defeated. You know, he has hope. He sees it out the window, but he knows it's not going to happen. Right. And to me, like lighting has the power to do those kinds of things, enhance those things, bring out what we want to see. You know, and a lot of that is what we choose to focus on with light. Um, you know, it's just a very base level. Um, but for me, it really is all about intent because that's how you know at the end that you communicated everything that you wanted to communicate to an audience about your story. You know, uh, Angela brought up that point about location. And I think that going to the location with, um, that director and going through how that light's going to come and you have to understand what time of day you're going to be shooting because it's yep. going to change and then you have to know how long you're going to be shooting at that location yep. whether or not <laughs> you're going to have to control the, the, the windows because that light's going to change and if you're not careful you're going to have a continuity issue yeah and so all of those that, you know, communicating with the director on that location is just so very important and seeing how you can utilize what's natural versus what you have to create. Um, yeah, absolutely. I require I, it at this point. I mean, I mean, sometimes you can't help it because sometimes things change, right? Last minute changes have to happen. Locations will fall through. But I, I try to make it a standard that we do location scouts, right? And sometimes you know, especially when you're starting out, you don't always get that consideration. You don't always know you can ask for it as a young DP even. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like I'm at a point now where, you know, when I'm meeting with a director and we're planning out a project in the first place, I make it clear, like, we, we need to be able to have eyes on our location before we walk on there because otherwise we're, we're going we're gonna to run into some obstacles and some of them may be overcomable, but some of them may not. It's always problem solving. Um, yes. Oscar, your images and, and, and I, your fish, fish piece, <laughs> the angler, the, the one that I have nightmares about now, <laughs> yeah. the lighting on that was phenomenal. No, oh, thank you. There's thank some you. real, really uh, dark, beautiful images there. They're disturbing. But they're at the same time, I think that was the intent. And so you're taking the medium and you have an intent. So were you the DP on that? Correct, I was. Um, so the director had this, he must have had a nightmare. <laughs> but you captured that vision pretty well in that. It had a, a tone to it that was fairly consistent. Can you talk about that a little bit, about that continuity of uh, lighting throughout a, a project like that? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so what I, what I like uh, about the Nebaker twins, Lucy and Max, they are, uh, they're, they're as ambitious as I am. Uh, sometimes we go over our heads, and, uh, uh, but we, I, I think from the beginning, even from, we did another short film before this where we kind of, it was more of a like kind of a learning experience for all of us how to work together. And then after that film, we were like, oh, we could have taken it further. And then we all agreed. And so with the angler, that's what we decided to do. We were like, okay, what did we like from the first one that we can translate into this film? And uh, what we really liked, what, and so what their, what their uh, uh, strategy is, they're trying to create a, a, a trilogy called the, uh, part of the, uh, what they're calling it the Rocky Mountain trilogy. And, but with, uh, with a lot of uh, expressionistic cinematography. So, uh, and for me, I love, again, this is going back to kind of like film school and I was able to, to watch a lot of these films from the 1930s, 40s and 50s where, where experimental with light was a, a lot of, uh, it, that was the norm, right? With uh, uh, German expressionism. And uh, so we took those philosophies uh, in lighting and, and adapted it to this and also try to make it theatrical as well. Uh, there's, a, there's a big theatrical part of this, 
of this film. And, um, and again, again, going to film theory, like the power of a close-up, uh, juxtaposed with a wide, going back and forth into those, that, that tells the audience like, okay, this is, this is your setting. Okay, now pay attention to this. So we, I, I, I just, I, when it comes to short film, I think the, it, the short film is a genre within itself. Um, there, what I, the mistakes I've seen, and I, I've made these too, is that people try to make a short film kind of into a small feature. And they're putting too much where the audience starts getting lost. And even the, even like the, the its own film crew is, is uh, they, they don't know, they, they just have too much and the editing process kind of goes to hell a little bit. Um, uh, and so we just wanted to keep it simple with, with simple rules. Um, expressionistic lighting, close-ups, wides, and theatrics. Uh, and so, uh, and so that's what we did. And from there, there was a couple of things that we, that we did, uh, kind of did on, on the fly too. Uh, I know there was, we had a, uh, for example, like in the exterior scene, uh, when he, when our angler goes into the woods, um, we were trying to, I was trying to figure out how to get more exposure, uh, into the trees. Uh, cause I did want it to be moody, but at the same time, it's like, I can't, it's, there's, there's nothing special about the shot when it's just dark in the foreground and in the background where there's the information doesn't really matter. Uh, we need something in the foreground. And so I turned on, I was like, I have this, I have this, uh, this Lico that we can turn on and uh, the blades were, were all opened out and there was a circle and we're like, this looks actually pretty interesting. doesn't make sense, but, but this goes, well, this, this is going with a theatric feeling. So we just embraced it. We, we, and then from there, uh, I think that was day one, so we were able to kind of take that 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 approach, because um, uh, we can we can kind of keep doing it for the rest of the shoot. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's and again, it, there's something that I really love about Godard that he says uh, when talking about the uh, when talking about from his key people, cinematographer, production designers, uh, about about the director, saying that the the director should always be interrogated. And the director should always interrogate the script, constantly interrogating. It's like kind of like what Justice was saying: why, mm. why, why, why are we doing this? And mm. so, and so, I, 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 I do take that approach, and I, and I, and I'm very upfront from the beginning. It's like I'm going to ask you questions. I hope I don't come off arrogant or, or, um, or, uh, you know, obnoxious. It's because I care. It's because I care about about what we're doing. And uh, when I read a script, if 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 I don't connect with it. I, I just I can't work on the project because otherwise I'm just going to be a technician. I'm just going to be I'm just going to be there going through the motions. I'm not going to be involved 100%, and it's going to be a waste of my time in the end, and and a waste of I don't know. I feel it would be a waste of everybody's time because filmmaking is takes a lot of a lot of work. It's it's not just a, it's not just principal photography. You're doing pre-production and then you're doing post-production, and so um, uh, and so it's an investment. It's not just a three-day shoot. It's it's almost like a two months two-month commitment, uh, mostly, most of the time non-paid. So it's, uh, anyway, so, so I need to connect with the script. And from there, I'm able to make my own notes, um, make my own notes, what, what the lines or what, what scenes mean to me. And then I ask questions. If, if those, if, if my notes connect with, if my notes um, uh, are in line with what the director's uh, uh, say in their own uh, initial pitch to me or 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 our first uh, kind of initial session of talking then then perfect we're on, we're on the same page um if 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 we have different if we have different visions then this is my opportunity to kind of suggest and um suggest things but uh, uh i don't know it, and i don't know it's just it's just collaboration interrogation over and over and over again so that way principal photography goes smoothly and you're able to and then you're able to make those improvisations on set and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like we don't know what we're doing so one of the things that uh it has been uh really interesting to me in the last 10 or 15 years is uh, that the the director of photography used to have control over the image much, much more than they do now. And things are kind of moving away in, in, in a lot of areas from the DP into the colorist. And the DPs can work with the colorist. As our medium changes technically, um, that's going to change that kind of relationship. And 
really a, a director of photography comes in and, and now they have to understand uh, how the camera works and things like the Bayer system and dynamic range because those cameras are changing and then color science. And so Angela, can you talk about how you're actually utilizing those changes to make your work better in your lighting? Well, we do know that a lot of it's going to be in post-production, but you need to give the raw material that is usable. You know, you need to expose. Now that this pro there's this new program that they can change the focus. And like, okay, the first AC job is oh, it's Gandhi. <laughs> yeah. But you need to give the base for it to be work workable and usable. You know, so the best you light, you just I think you just light in the shoot as if nothing is going to be changed and then when they go and they can enhance it they can use that but uh i don't like the idea oh we'll fix it in post we'll fix it in post no don't don't rely on that give them the best material you can and then in post they just kick it up another notch um i'm trying to think i'm mine i'm terrible with names um oh brother where art thou the dp on that roger deacons Deacons and Deacons uh, Dolly Grip is a good friend of mine and I asked him about that because it has a, a very unique tone to it and it was the first time that it was shot normally but it was changed in post that antique look that they achieved and Deacons did a lot of experimentation on it and he concluded that digital was the way to go. And so he was kind of turning over a little bit of his control into the, giving it to the colorist. And the director, of course, determines that. But they had a working relationship good enough that Deacons was included in that colorist decisions. So that's kind of where it is and what you're saying angela is spot on is that the best thing you can do is to give them an image that they can work with and give them as much latitude and as much uh of a blank canvas in a way that they can take it and shape and that's exciting uh if you understand that downstream it's going to be different but you have to understand what's going to happen downstream um justice talk about that yeah i think uh you know i'm a child of the digital age um you know i'm not i'm not old enough to have have started in this at a time where things were on film um you know so for me like the dslr revolution was when i came to this existence so for me i feel like it's all I've ever really known, but I do agree. I think that the intensity of that, the things that you now have to know as a cinematographer seem to have evolved um, for sure. And, you know, and, and that, and that requires us to be constantly, well, you know, because we can't be stuck in five, 10 years ago or in five, 10 years from now, the industry will outrun us and there won't really be a place for us. Even if we're great image makers, just by nature of how things change, the new roles that come in and the way we have to work with people and the way we have to be mindful of how we deliver things, you know? Um, and so for me, I've, I've, always, I've always been really fascinated with that side of things, the technology side of things, because I think knowing the technology just enables you to, to have more tools in your belt, right? And so, you know, I do, I do a lot of color tests um, as well in the films I shoot. I will, um, I will go and create and generate LUTs um, that we can use um, for reference on set, um, you know, and we'll, we'll kind of use those kinds of things as our guiding light. So the director can stand there at the monitor next to me and we can be looking at a shot and he can go, so this is pretty close to how it's going to look then when we take it into post. I'm like, yes, yes. yes. What we're seeing here is, is what, what you should be getting when you walk into the editing room, um, you know, if I'm not a total imbecile. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I really, that whole process, I think, allows a director to be comfortable knowing, like, all right, what I'm seeing here is what I'm going to get, you know? I think sometimes the hard part initially when this process began and we started working in log, you know, um, and, and being able to have that kind of reference on set, it was hard for, for directors to have an idea of what it truly looked like, right? Because we were looking at it in a log sphere. It was very gray, flat scale. 
Um, but now we kind of have the technology to say, okay, here's what we're testing for. Um, you know, this is what we're trying to evoke. These are the kind of colors we're trying to use. Um, and we can monitor and create those on set and know that we're, we're getting that thing. We're capturing the detail in the right places as well, right? Because we talk about things like, um, you know, color wavelength, you know, um, and the visible spectrum. And, you know, certain lights don't carry certain spectrums very well or not at all. Um, and knowing, all right, you know, in this scene, we're trying to use a lot of maybe oranges um, or, you know, vice versa, you may be in an interesting scenario where you're trying to pull out like magentas and stuff. And you have to know that the equipment you're working with, um, you know, how you're, how you're setting it up in camera, but also how you're doing it with the lights means that the sensor will be able to process that wavelength of color because the lights you're using have that in its spectrum as well. So yeah, I mean, it, it's full technology all the way around. And I, as I said, I think just understanding those things for us allows us to be more useful to our directors um, and that follows through to post, right? Because I do, I've studied, I've done a lot more studying into to color correction, color grading, and I try to be more involved in that process um, as of the last year or two, um, just because I, I think it is crazy that, you know, before there was sort of this idea, we would just hand it off <laughs> um, and it would disappear. And then we would just see it like everybody else for the first time at the screening. And then at that moment, we'd have to go, that's, uh, that's something that's not what we were trying to do <laughs> that uh that came out a little bit different uh when it went into the color timing um so i like that we because if we're just authoring the agency on set and then we're just hoping that that last third of production the post-production part that integrity is maintained right we're leaving a lot of chance so i uh, i don't like leaving that much to chance um when it could mean the director doesn't get what he was looking to get when we started when you put a LUT on, it changes how that scene is going to be lit. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it changes a lot of things downstream. Mm. Um, <laughs> it, it's just the DP job is becoming this, basically you're operating a computer with a lens <laughs> and understanding LUTs and how you're gonna show what you need to show on set is mm -hmm. going to affect how your image is. You've got to understand every camera's dynamic range that you're using. How are you going to light unless you know uh, what the range is when you're going to lose detail in the whites and you're going to produce noise in the blacks? And mm -hmm. testing, Aaron, uh, Oscar, do you test it? How much testing you do before a production? Oh, I. <laughs> I love to, I try to be as prepared as possible. I kind of, again, I think I sometimes go overboard and going with uh, this color thing. I just, just so I can be a better cinematographer at, at school, I, I took a job at BYU Broadcasting as a colorist. Uh, so I worked there for about two years to just understand the, the basic principles of, um, you know, just of how, how, uh, uh, how much I can uh, and how much I can push color uh, and the nice thing about BU Broadcasting, like all cameras are coming in. We have, uh, you have like the, they mostly worked with the, with the, the Sony uh, F5. Uh -oh. mm -hmm. Can you guys still hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah. They like Sony's there. Um, what, are, do you, yeah, and so, you use a Sony oh. then, is that correct? No, mm -hmm. no, no. I use the Alexa for the most, I use the ah. Alexa. We, for, for the, for the Angler, we use the, uh, the Amira. Um, and so, and so that's, uh, so yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I, I, I used a lot of the red at school and then after school, then I was able to uh, get access to an Alexa. And so, um, that's, that's where I kind of, uh, I feel comfortable with both cameras, red and Alexa, not so much the Sony. I don't, I, I feel like I'm out of practice, but, but I do know the, the post workflow pretty well. So I, I feel like I don't have qualms about it. And, um, uh, no, but yeah, I, I, I test all the time, even, even with like, a, uh, uh, I have my, I, have, I bought a light meter at the beginning of school. And so that's, that's been my kind of like, just use, just spotting and, and everything and just kind of knowing like dynamic range, how much I can push as well. Um, uh, working with my little film camera and my DSLR all together, just so I can kind of get, uh, just as much information as possible. Again, I think I go overboard sometimes, but for me, it's fine. I don't, I'm not, I feel like uh, for me, it's all, all of that is fun. And so that's how I know I'm in the right, like in the right job. It's, 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 I don't know. It's, it, it sounds like if I, if I explain this to anybody else, it's like, this is like, this is too scientific. And it's like, no, this is, 
this is just work for me. I, I, I just love, and I love reading articles and all oh, this is fun. Yeah, you've got to keep up on it because it changes so frequently. And, you know, the difference between a RAD and the ARIES are phenomenal. You've got to understand what that camera is doing. Uh, Angela, talk about the emotion that is going to be that you're trying to evoke with the use of colors and light levels. What do you mean? Well, you know, when you're shooting a scene, uh, your color palette and, and usually the director is going to dictate that, but as a DP, you're going to want to deliver some consistency with, uh, uh, with that color palette that's going to make them happy. But you have to also understand, you know, what kind of effect a red color is going to have on the emotions of the scene. So talk about that when you're doing a production and some of that gets into the DP often works with the, the set designer in, in creating it because the designer may not know how the camera interprets a color that they put on. And how, how does that, you know, the, and then the amount of light that falls on that color everything has an effect on it. What are your, what are your, when you're looking at designing a scene and you're working with all these people and the directors ask you to do this or, and what are you, what is your thought process in working with that color palette and working with uh, the way your camera interprets color? Mm -hmm. I, what I like is, well, pre, production, you're planning all that, and then when you're doing it, let's turn on the camera, see how it looks in the camera. Because sometimes for us, it just looks wonderful. Then you put the camera and it's just like, oh, this is not working. And you reminded me of this project that we work on and the, the art department, oh my gosh, I think they would set everything up, then Angela came and changed everything. <laughs> <laughs> and that was frustrating for them because it is, uh, you do, sometimes the in some projects, the director and the DP are working so close together and the art, the art department is not in those conversations. So they, they need be. to be there so we can all be in the same, in the same mindset and then go for it. Because then that happens that the, the, the Angela shows up and they just like, no, take this off, take this off too much, you know, so <laughs> that do happen a lot. You know, the lower the budget, almost the more that you have to plan and, and get things done because you don't have time for changes like that very often. And so having them on set on the scout and the locations is important. And so you've got to have a relationship with that uh, set designer and the dressers. Do you do color tests on sets? Yeah, and also I was thinking that we need to uh, also work with the wardrobe person. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The same conversations and then, and yeah. then you know they're going to be dressed this way and these are going to be the decorations and all that. And I actually like to take a lot of pictures before, like as we're practicing. So then we're in the same conversation. Yeah, that's, that's an, an important aspect. And then the kind of lights that you're going to use are going to affect how that wardrobe is going to be interpreted by the camera. And Justice, you talked a little bit about how, and, and lights, which gets us into that issue of lights, and lights are changing <laughs> rapidly, and at yeah. the same time, they're not. So talk about how you're thinking <laughs> about lighting when... You know, we're talking about hive lights and, yeah. you know, the CRI index and all these crazy things about lights that they all have a different kind of look to them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, and it, and that's, it's one of the reasons you have to test. Because, um, you know, especially in lighting, the technology is changing so much, what the lighting can do. Um, you know, and then we do talk about things like CRI, you know, how accurately it transmits color. And then, you know, again, as you talked about certain things, certain LEDs don't possess certain wavelengths of color, depending on the manufacturer and all this stuff. Um, and so, you know, that testing is so big, um, that, that art department stuff is so big, because you got to know 
again, I guess taking it all back to intent, you know, you got to take, you got to know what you're trying to achieve. And so on this film I shot earlier this year, there's a scene in this living room um, and it's supposed to be very, very kind of moody, like orangish sunset, you know, very like a, like a medium amber kind of color throughout the space. But the, uh, the actor and one of the main props in that scene is a very, is a very vibrant, like clear blue, like a, like Oscar's shirt there. Um, and, you know, with all of that orange, you know, um, you have to know like the lights I'm using are still gonna transmit into that wavelength of color because it was a very prominent, very vibrant blue. Um, and so we had to know like, okay, going into this, like, is this gonna work? Is this, not only is this camera capturing, you know, the blue pixel well enough um, at, at the exposure that we're trying to get, but um, are these lights um, capable of, of possessing that wavelength? Um, and they were, we, we figured that out and we made sure they were, and it, it looks fantastic. I think it turned out super vibrant, but those are the kinds of things you can't really leave to chance, you know, as you said, because you could walk on and go, wow, that maroon under these lights actually just looks like a muddy, gross brown. Like it, <laughs> it's not working, um, you know, and, and sometimes our, our, best, uh, our best source is the sun because the sun doesn't ever really have an issue um, showing up those kinds of colors. But, you know, a lot of the environments we're working in, we don't really have that. Um, yeah, so it, it's just all about knowing. Um, and you'd have to do those tests. You have to be so familiar with the equipment, what's out there and what you're familiar working with. Um, you know, what, what will an HMI do if I throw um, you know, if I throw like a, like a steel blue, like a leak over it, um, or, you know, what'll happen, what'll happen to this, um, this Fresnel if I throw like a 255 and like a, a sodium in front of it as well? Like what's, what's going to happen? What's going to, what's it going to do to the color? What happens to the spectrum of color that now is being emitted into the scene? All of those things. And you just kind of have to be so aware of them. Um, and, and be just so mindful because again, otherwise what you're doing is you're walking in and going, Hmm, well, this is what we rented. This is what we're trying to show. Hope they match, you know, hope they work. Hope these colors we're trying to show, hopefully what's here in the scene transmits well. Um, and so, yeah, it's big. It's, I mean, it's a big part of it. Um, and, and especially I think as DPs, you know, understanding not just the new cameras and the lenses and, you know, the new technology that comes out in them with like dual ISO and high dynamic range and all of these things. It's also understanding what our lights do. Um, and that's just a crazy world unto itself. It's equivalently as large and constantly evolving as, as cameras is. So it's it's quite fun trying to keep up with them both. With that dual focus thing that Angela mentioned. That's just <laughs> crazy talk now. You know, kind of an HDRX kind of thing for focus. Why don't you just get it right the first time? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's like, um, you know, they talked about, and this has been a discussion because of the Mandalorian, you know, right? Like, and I guess it's been going on for a while, I guess, because we've always been doing like green screen, blue screen stuff. Um, but, you know, like, I feel like there's, there's, there has to be a tangible difference in the organically captured versus the synthetically added. Um, you know, and there has to be, there's something about how, what our eyes know to be real versus what we're trying to sell as real. You know, and I feel like focus has got to be that same thing, you know, because I, maybe I've seen it before in a project and not noticed that it was, you know, artificially adjusted for focus later. But, you know, I feel like my eye understands focus better as a viewer than the technology probably can at this point um, properly um, articulate. So it, it is weird. And I'll be curious to see what those kinds of technologies do in 10, 15 years. If we'll hit a point where we're like, I, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> I couldn't tell you that this was all shot on an LED volume. You know, I couldn't tell you that this was artificially focused in post. You know, we may get to that point one day, but as it stands now, you know, nothing, nothing truly does beat what we intentionally are trying to capture as professionals in our crafts when we're there on set. Well, it's extremely hard on set to catch focus and that uh, first assistant camera job is about as hard as a job as there is it's, in a motion picture. It was uh, a big wake up call for me. I did, a, I did a feature last summer where I was the first AC and it was the biggest project out of their first AC. It was an out of state production um, that came in and we were shooting in Moab right? And we were super remote. We were like an hour from civilization. Um, and, you know, and we did the whole thing remotely, um, focus-wise, um, just because with all the kinds of movements, it wasn't as tenable to be on camera. Um, but after like three weeks of running around the desert, you know, having to like set up these monitors every time, having to calibrate the focus meter every time, um, you know, and having to, you know, do the playback. And, and, you know, I only had like a seven-inch screen. So I was like, all right, I'm pretty sure, you know, I've set in how my peaking looks and everything. I'm pretty sure this is working. Um, and then having to go back in dailies at the end of the day and make sure that everything was in focus. But I really, after I did that job, I was like, wow, I'm, 
I'm not a first AC <laughs> and kudos to all those people that are because our ACs really save our asses. I think uh, more often than we ever give them credit for. <laughs> yeah. It's a, an extremely difficult job. Yes. Um, Oscar, the emotion that you caught in angler was really interesting. And how do you try, you know, you've done testing, uh, talk about, again a little bit of color palette a little bit of dynamic range kind of things of how that knowledge and, and how you that colorist background that you did the intent is to create an emotion with all those elements talk about how you what you're thinking about when you're doing that uh yeah so i guess again going to film theory and color theory uh so um, light pushes stuff foreground, darkness pushes stuff in the background. Same thing with color, warm colors push things in the foreground, cool colors push things in the background. Um, and then um, there's additive, add, uh, additive light and then subtractive light and how those colors mix together. And so just, I guess, kind of having like a fundamental knowledge of that, then you're able to experiment. You're able to kind of, kind of go into a scene and say, okay, if I put these colors together, I, I should I, I potentially would have this but there's always a caveat there's always something bouncing some, from somewhere that you're like oh crap that was a mistake we need to flag it off um, and with with the angler uh, it's about a fish right it's about a, a man who who uh, essentially catches himself uh, um, in the end and so blue blue was was a big uh, or I guess I would say cool colors in general were kind of like this big motif that we were trying to go with uh, and in order to kind of add more more emphasis on those cool colors. We needed something warm. We needed some warm warmness in, in the scene to to kind of give to juxtapose and give the audience kind of like this more intense feeling into it. And so that's how I kind of went into it. Uh, there there really wasn't anything more than that, other than just just keeping in mind like okay, I have to keep this thing so and and constantly watching uh, through the eyepiece and saying okay, am I, am I seeing everything that I want to? Uh, and then. Uh, and then I, the, the, the colorist that I work with, his name is Drew Sikolvi. He's, he actually trained me as a, as a, uh, for like a couple of days when I, when I worked there before he found, but before he had to go, cause he was graduating. So he had to find another job. Um, and so I kind of went out to him on the limbs, like, Hey, would you be interested in helping us out? And then ever since then we've been working together. Uh, so it's been pretty nice. And so, um, kind of knowing how, kind of already having that established relationship that he, that I know, that I know that he knows how to look at color the same way that I do um uh and how to manipulate those exposures if if we need a little bit more or less uh i don't know it, it just has it, it creates confidence for me uh i'm not sure if i answered your question actually <laughs> Did, pretty good okay yeah right. yeah yeah um, I, I, oh sorry go ahead i was gonna i was gonna say i feel like there really was no um the, uh, like technical technical wise there there really wasn't any more than kind of knowing my my fundamentals of and color theory everything comes again going going back to the script what what do we need the audience to feel what it, what are the philosophies or kind of like the the what are we trying to tell through the images and as long as as long as i'm feeling that i feel like i have a pretty good sense of judgment that i i i'm pretty confident that the audience will feel that i i also have to trust the audience that they're smart enough to figure it out I don't want to spoon feed everything to them as well. You create a, a color palette. Correct. Um, you know, Angela, in a lot, some of the, one of the pieces I saw of yours was a little bit abstract. And it was a dance um, movement thing. And one of the things, um, oh, uh, the Russian photographer, uh, cinematographer, um, Eisenstein. Is that him? Or am I thinking of the photographer? Anyway, he talks about um, using graphics to create tension. And I thought you were really doing an interesting, a good job of doing that with some of your images. You're creating this emotion out of lights and shadows and darkness and movement and while we could tell it was a dancer yes but a lot of it came out of the emotion of the lines that we're seeing and that 
juxtaposition of things. How much thinking did you look at that with intent to do that? Yes, everything was very planned. And the background is one thing, then we separated the background from the dancer, and then the, the words, where they go on the screen, what kind of writing we're using on the screen, what kind of colors do we have, Everything was with the intent. You are creating anger. You are creating depression. You are creating um, that those, those. There's three emotions that were going, and uh, mm. and that one was denial. And everything was planned to the T, you know. And then when you bring it to the computer and all that, and then other things happen and then come to life. But yes, the background, the foreground, the wardrobe, everything, everything makes it, you know, it's a missing scent. Whatever you're going to put in there has to be part of this. If not, take it out. That's it. That's an important point to make. If it doesn't contribute, take it out. Yeah. Um, Chiaroscuro is one of the, big important concepts of lighting and in telling a story with lighting. You want to talk about chiaroscuro and how you use it a little bit, Angela? Oh, I just love it. You know, I don't like to, uh, I don't like to light scenes that everything is seen. You know, I just love to use the darkness. I think light is, ah. as, darkness is as important as the light, you know? Ah, I like that. The darkness is as important as the light. It really is. Uh, and, how, and, and within the range of the camera, what camera do you use? And how do you think in terms of dynamic range? And well, I've been using the red a lot, all those reds, uh, fancy reds, and I love them. They have a huge range and they, they do really nice at capturing the darkness that I'm talking about, yeah. Darkness is hard, isn't it? Because it tends to go noisy if you don't do it right. Uh, Justice, do you want to talk a little bit about what, how you're dealing with, of course, I, I love what Angela says, that the darkness is important to the light, uh, and chiaroscuro is just that, it, it says darkness and light, chiaroscura. Yep. Um, yep. Talk about that. A noise. <laughs> and when you're lighting, are you thinking about noise levels and how those shadows are going to interpret? Now you've done testing and so you know where your thresholds are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think uh, another part of that is just, um, you know, understanding kind of an ambient level we're trying to achieve, um, you know, and then we have discussions about, you know, what we want out of the shadows too. Cause sometimes it's, you know, referencing back to a film like Arrival, sometimes you want, sometimes you want your, your blacks to be a little lifted, you know, you want them to kind of mm -hmm. float maybe around the five to 10 IRE range. Um, and, and sometimes you want them to be very clean and pristine and, you know, crisp, like very filmic kind of blacks, like you were shooting on 35. Um, and so there, there's an artistic intent behind how you do those too. But, you know, again, it all comes back to, you know, with technology now, we have to be mindful of like, all right, when a sensor starts reaching a certain temperature, heat starts actually generating noise in our shadows and in, in, in certain ranges and knowing, okay, cool. So you have to be mindful of, you know, the temperature of the camera as well when we do this, as well as, you know, our ISO, obviously, and all these things. Um, and yeah, it all really comes back to like, I'm saying, okay, cool. This is what we're trying to achieve. We're looking at a scene. We really like that there are heavy shadows, right? We're looking at the scene and we're going, all right, in this scene specifically, what we're trying to convey, this contrast works, this, this, very, this very key heavy, you know, low on fill, like four, five to one, six to one contrast ratios, um, you know, how it's working in this scene for what we're trying to convey. Um, and and it, it's, it's, it's fun to see it like happen. It's fun to like light a scene and go, hmm, it's a little too much over there actually um we have just a little bit too much ambient fill you know we'll do like a meter reading and we'll go can we bring that down like need like a half stop and i think it's coming just a little too much off the ceiling and creating like on that fill side there um i still have i probably still have about 10 ire to play with there before while i have a comfortable amount of detail and saying okay cool well, let's let's you know let's creep a flag you know over the top of of our unit here just keep walking it and then we'll just look at the we'll look at the histogram we'll look at the image we'll get a false color as we walk it and we'll go there that's the spot that's the levels we're looking for that's where that's where the money is um and it's fun it's fun to see that looking at the image and go okay cool these 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 shadows are perfect the right amount of detail that we want is here um you know the colors that we want in the shadows or lack thereof again because sometimes you just want clean pristine blacks just 
beautiful, clear as they are. And sometimes you're trying to introduce a little color into those. So you're going, all right, cool, that's great. We're getting just a hint of that, that like Moroccan pink right there into those shadows. And that's perfect, you know? Um, it's just a lot of fun to play with. And, you know, light and shadow, truly, you, your light matters so little without the shadow. Um, and, and it's that shadow that creates that dimension and that texture in your image, right? It creates that separation. Um, it creates that focus, um, you know, because a big part of our job is, is you know, as, as the headline of this thing is, you know, I don't know, make it look pretty, you know, the worst phrase in the whole world. Our job needs to be so much more than that. And our, our job is to like guide the viewer's eye, you know, and when we set up an image, the, the audience should so comfortably look at that image right away and their eye goes exactly where it's supposed to. And a huge part of that, beyond actual literal focus itself is in the lighting, how we light it, where we put the subject in the light so that it's so clear, just our, not, our eyes naturally go to that place. Um, and you can't have that without having the lights and darks. So I, I think they're a lot of fun to play around with, absolutely. I talked to a guy just last night, um, a friend of mine premiered her little, her film that she did and her brother uh, teaches cinematography in New York. and he was comparing it to the things that a, ma a magician does, that it's all about direction and getting people to look in a particular place on the image, on the frame. And I, I thought that was an interesting comparison. Uh, you know, the magician gets you to look over here while he's doing something here to distract you from it so he can pull his little trick off. And it's, yeah, and it's visual tension, you know, a big yeah. part of what we do, depending on, you know, the kind of visual story we're tension. trying to tell is creating that visual tension. And a lot of that can be done, as you said, the light. Like I shot a film last year where there's, there's a scene where we have a, a, a guy creeping around in the background that's kind of trying to sneak up on this guy. And, you know, and we made it so we can see him, you know, it's, mm -hmm. he's, he's dark. The detail is there. We can see that he's there, but it's so clearly meant to be focused on the guy that's being snuck up upon. And I think the way that, you know, we compose it and clearly the way we light it was meant to create this visual tension of like, you know, clearly we see him because he's bathed in light and we can't see that guy very well. And so clearly this guy can't see that guy very well either. And there's that suspense created, that tension of, of space, of light and all those things. And you're, you're generating um, you know, the tone you're generating the focus. And I think so when we talk about those things like the philosophies and, and you know, putting the intent in there, sometimes it's less the articulatable thing and more the emotional thing that we're trying to, to, to distill in people, right? Because even if an audience member, like an average audience member can walk out of your movie and they can't specifically say why it was tense for them or why it really touched them or why it made them laugh, you know, that's, that's how we know I did our job is that what we did, what we set up, the way we would compose, the way we would light would generate those kinds of emotions and tensions and feelings um, and in the sense of space that they weren't even realizing were happening to them when they were watching the film just because the visuals did their job and we did our jobs as cinematographers. Yeah, I think that's a, one of the important things is, is within a, a, I'm also a writer. I've, I've sold 14 screenplays and one of the things that we do with writing is, is it's like looking at a clock. You can see the hands moving and you can tell time with it, but you have no idea what's going on behind that, that there are gears working on that and that you're creating things that create emotions with intent to create emotions within your story that should be invisible to people who are watching it, they should respond to it. Um, why is it so important to, for a DP to understand the craft of storytelling and the art of storytelling? Oscar, go ahead, run with it. Hold on, Laird, I'll have to tell you, I apologize. I've, uh, go ahead. I've been reminded by, uh, by Michael that I think we actually are about to hit our time in about one Are minute. we? Oh, we're 145. So it really uh, bums me out because the question you just asked, Oscar, is an amazing question. I think we'd all love to have a crack at answering. But uh, yeah, I think I think our time is basically up here. Oh no! <laughs> Too much. Thank you, guys. I was. I'm just very impressed with all of you. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in the future. This is going to be so very cool. Um, amazing group of people. 
I have a project that I wanted to do with Justice, but he's moving away, so I can't. It's not too late. It's not too late. I'll be back. I'll be here. I have family. Okay. Let's make it happen. And it's a guy <laughs> who wears a uniform, too. Right up my alley. <laughs> Are we supposed to rap now? We I think gotta... so. Okay. We're wrapped. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.